0: Chapter Fifteen of the Deluge, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Botes. The Deluge, Volume Two, by Henrik Syngevich, translated by Jeremiah Curtin, eighteen thirty-five to nineteen o six chapter fifteen but a few days subsequent the great traitor in the castle was looking at the darkness coming down on the snowy shrouds and listening to the howling of the wind the lamp of his life was burning out slowly at noon of that day he was still walking around and looking through the battlements at the tents and the wooden huts of sapieha's troops but two hours later he grew so ill that they had to carry him to his chambers from those times at kyedani in which he had striven for a crown he had changed beyond recognition the hair on his head had grown white around his eyes red rings had formed his face was swollen and flabby therefore it seemed still more enormous but it was the face of a half-corpse, marked with blue spots and terrible through its expression of hellish suffering. And still, though his life could be measured by hours, he had lived too long. For not only had he outlived faith in himself and his fortunate star, faith in his own hopes and plans, but his fall was so deep that when he looked at the bottom of that precipice to which he was rolling, he would not believe himself. Everything had deceived him, events, calculations, allies. He for whom it was not enough to be the mightiest lord in Poland, a prince of the Roman Empire, Grand Hetman, and Vojavoda of Vilna. He for whom all Lithuania was less than what he desired and was lasting after was confined in one narrow, small castle in which either death or captivity was waiting for him. And he watched the door every day to see which of these two terrible goddesses would enter first to take his soul or his more than half-ruined body. Of his lands, of his estates and starostaships, it was possible not long before to mark out a vassal kingdom, now he is not master even of the walls of Tikotsin. Barely a few months before, he was treating with neighboring kings. Today, one Swedish captain obeys his commands with impatience and contempt, and dares to bend him to his will. When his troops left him, when from a lord and a magnate, who made the whole country tremble, he became a powerless pauper who needed rescue and assistance himself, Karl Gustav despised him. He would have raised to the skies a mighty ally, but he turned with haughtiness from the supplicant. Like Kosta Napierski, the footpad, besieged on a time in Chorstin, is he, Radzevil, besieged now in Ticoacin. And who is besieging him? Sapieha his greatest personal enemy. When they capture him, they will drag him to justice in worse fashion than a robber, as a traitor. His kinsmen have deserted him, his friends, his connections. Armies have plundered his property. His treasures and riches are blown into mist. And that lord, that prince, who once upon a time astonished the court of France, and dazzled it with his luxury, he who at feasts received thousands of nobles, who maintained tens of thousands of his own troops, whom he fed and supported, had not now wherewith to nourish his own failing strength, and terrible to relate, he, Radzivill, in the last moments of his life, almost at the hour of his death, was hungry. In the castle there had long been a lack of provisions. From the scant remaining supplies, the Swedish commander dealt stingy rations, and the prince would not beg of him. If only the fever which was devouring his strength had deprived him of consciousness, but it had not. His breast rose with increasing heaviness, his breath turned into a rattle his swollen feet and hands were freezing but his mind omitting moments of delirium omitting the terrible visions and nightmares which passed before his eyes remained for the greater part of the time clear and that prince saw his whole fall all his want all his misery and humiliation that former warrior victor saw all his defeat and his sufferings were so immense that they could be equalled only by his sins besides as the furies tormented orestes so was he tormented by reproaches of conscience and in no part of the world was there a sanctuary to which he could flee from them they tormented him in the day they tormented him at night in the field under the roof pride could not withstand them nor repulse them the deeper his fall the more fiercely they lashed him and there were moments in which he tore his own breast when enemies came against his country from every side when foreign nations grieved over its hapless condition its sufferings and bloodshed he the grand hetman instead of moving to the field instead of sacrificing the last drop of his blood, instead of astonishing the world like Leonidas or Themistocles, instead of pawning his last coat like Sapieha, made a treaty with enemies against a mother, raised the sacrilegious hand against his own king, and imbrued it in blood near and dear to him. He had done all this, and now... He is at the limit not only of infamy, but of life, close to his reckoning, there, beyond. What is awaiting him? The hair rose on his head when he thought of that, for he had raised his hand against his country. He had appeared to himself great in relation to that country, and now all had changed. Now he had become small and the commonwealth rising from dust and blood appeared to him something great and continually greater invested with a mysterious terror full of a sacred majesty awful and she grew increased continually in his eyes and became more and more gigantic in presence of her he felt himself dust as prince and as hetman as radzivil he could not understand what that was. Some unknown waves were rising around him, flowing toward him, with roaring, with thunder, flowing ever nearer, rising more terribly, and he understood that he must be drowned in that immensity, hundreds such as he would be drowned. But why had he not seen this awfulness and this mysterious power at first? Why had he madman rushed against it. When these ideas roared in his head, fear seized him in presence of that mother, in presence of that commonwealth. For he did not recognize her features, which formerly were so kind and so mild. The spirit was breaking within him, and terror dwelt in his breast. At moments he thought that another country altogether, Another people were around him. Through the besieged walls came news of everything that men were doing in the invaded Commonwealth, and marvelous and astonishing things were they doing. A war of life or death against the Swedes and traitors had begun, all the more terrible in that it had not been foreseen by any man. The Commonwealth had begun to punish. There was something in this of the anger of God, for the insult to majesty, when, through the walls of Ticozian, came news of the siege of Częstochowa, Radzivil, a Calvinist, was frightened, and fright did not leave his soul from that day, for then he perceived for the first time those mysterious waves which, after they had risen were to swallow the swedes and him then the invasion of the swedes seemed not an invasion but a sacrilege and the punishment of it inevitable then for the first time the veil dropped from his eyes and he saw the changed face of the commonwealth no longer a mother but a punishing queen all who had remained true to her and served with heart and soul rose and grew greater and greater whoso sinned against her went down and therefore it is not free to any one to think said the prince to himself of his own elevation or that of his family but he must sacrifice life strength and love to her but for him it was now too late he had nothing to sacrifice he had no future before him save that beyond the grave at sight of which he shuddered from the time of besieging chenstochowa when one terrible cry was torn from the breast of an immense country when as if by a miracle there was found in it a certain wonderful hitherto unknown and not understood power when you would have said that a mysterious hand from beyond this world rose in its defence A new doubt gnawed into the soul of the prince, and he could not free himself from the terrible thought that God stood with that cause and that faith. And when such thoughts roared in his head, he doubted his own faith, and then his despair passed even the measure of his sins. Temporal fall, spiritual fall, darkness, nothingness, behold to what had to come what he had gained by serving self and still at the beginning of the expedition from chedani against podlyasye he was full of hope it is true that sapieha a leader inferior to him beyond comparison had defeated him in the field and the rest of the squadrons left him but he strengthened himself with the thought that any day boguslav might come with assistance that young eagle of radzivils would fly to him at the head of prussian lutheran legions who would not pass over to the papists like the lithuanian squadrons and at once he would bend sapieha in two scatter his forces scatter the confederates and putting themselves on the corpse of lithuania like two lions on the carcass of a deer with roaring alone would terrify all who might wish to tear it away from them. But time passed, the forces of Prince Janosch melted. Even the foreign regiments went over to the terrible Sapieha. Days passed, weeks, months, but Boguslav came not. At last the siege of Tikotsin began. The Swedes, a handful of whom remained with Janosch defended themselves heroically for stained already with terrible cruelty they saw that even surrender would not guard them from the vengeful hands of the lithuanians the prince in the beginning of the siege had still the hope that at the last moment perhaps the king of sweden himself would move to his aid and perhaps pan konietz polski who, at the head of 6,000 cavalry, was with Karl Gustav. But his hope was vain. No one gave him a thought. No one came with assistance. Oh Boguslav, Boguslav, repeated the prince, walking through the chambers of Tekoacin. If you will not save a cousin, save at least a Radzevil. At last, in his final despair, Prince Janosch resolved on taking a step at which his pride revolted fearfully. That was to implore Prince Michael Radzivill of Nesvie for rescue. This letter, however, was intercepted on the road by Sapieha's men. But the voevoda of Vitiebsk sent to Janosch in answer a letter which he had himself received from prince michael a week before prince yanosh found in it the following passage if news has come to you gracious lord that i intend to go with succor to my relative the voevoda of vilna believe it not for i hold only to those who endure in loyalty to the country and our king and who desire to restore the former liberties of this most illustrious commonwealth. This course will not, as I think, bring me to protect traitors from just and proper punishment. Boguslav too will not come, for, as I hear, the elector prefers to think of himself, and does not wish to divide his forces, and, quod Atinet, us too, Konetspolski, Since he will pay court to Prince Janos' widow, should she become one, it is to his profit that the Prince Voevoda be destroyed with all speed. This letter addressed to Sapieha stripped the unfortunate Janos of the remnant of his hope, and nothing was left him but to wait for the accomplishment of his destiny. The siege was hastening to its close. News of the departure of Sapieha passed through the wall almost that moment, but the hope that in consequence of his departure hostile steps would be abandoned were of short duration, for in the infantry regiments an unusual movement was observable. Still, some days passed quietly enough, since the plan of blowing up the gate with the Petard resulted in nothing. But December 31 came, on which only the approaching night might incommode the besiegers, for evidently they were preparing something against the castle, at least a new attack of cannon on the weakened walls. The day was drawing to a close. The prince was lying in the so-called corner hall, situated in the western part of the castle in an enormous fireplace were burning whole logs of pine wood which cast a lively light on the white and rather empty walls the prince was lying on his back on a turkish sofa pushed out purposely into the middle of the room so that the warmth of the blaze might reach it nearer to the fireplace a little in the shade slept a page on a carpet Near the prince were sitting, slumbering, in armchairs, Pani Yakimovich, formerly chief lady-in-waiting at Kedani, another page, a physician, also the prince's astrologer, and Karlamp. Karlamp had not left the prince, though he was almost the only one of his former officers who had remained. That was a bitter service for the heart and soul of the officer were outside the walls of Tikotsin, in the camp of Sapieha. Still, he remained faithful at the side of his old leader. From hunger and watching, the poor fellow had grown as thin as a skeleton. Of his face remained but the nose, which now seemed still greater, and mustaches like bushes. He was clothed in complete armor. Breastplate, shoulder pieces, and morion, with a wire cape which came down to his shoulders. His cuirass was battered, for he had just returned from the walls, to which he had gone to make observations a little while before, and on which he saw death every day. He was slumbering at the moment from weariness, though there was a terrible rattling in the prince's breast as if he had begun to die and though the wind howled and whistled outside suddenly short quivering began to shake the gigantic body of radzivil and rattling ceased those who were round him woke at once and looked quickly first at him and then at one another but he said it is as if something had gone out of my breast I feel easier. He turned his head a little, looked carefully toward the door. At last he said Karlamp, at the service of your Highness, what does Stahovich want here? The legs began to tremble under poor Karlamp, for unterrified as he was in battle, he was superstitious in the same degree therefore he looked around quickly and said in a stifled voice "Stahovitch is not here your highness gave orders to shoot him at kedani the prince closed his eyes and answered not a word for a time there was nothing to be heard save the doleful and continuous howling of the wind the weeping of people is heard in that wind said the prince again opening his eyes in perfect consciousness but i did not bring in the swedes it was Radzeyovski. when no one gave an answer he said after a short time he is most to blame he is most to blame he is most to blame and a species of consolation entered his breast as if the remembrance rejoiced him that there was someone more guilty than he soon however more grievous thoughts must have come to his head for his face grew dark and he repeated a number of times jesus 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 and again choking attacked him a rattling began in his throat more terrible than before meanwhile from without came the sound of musketry, at first infrequent, then more frequent. But amidst the drifting of the snow and the howling of the whirlwind, they did not sound too loudly, and it might have been thought that that was some continual knocking at the gate. They are fighting, said the prince's physician. As usual, answered Carlamp. People are freezing in the snowdrifts, and they wish to fight to grow warm. This is the sixth day of the whirlwind and the snow, answered the doctor. Great changes will come in the kingdom, for this is an unheard of thing. God granted, said Carlamp, it cannot be worse. Further conversation was interrupted by the prince, to whom a new relief had come carlamp at the service of your highness does it seem to me so from weakness or did Oskierko try to blow up the gate with the petard two days since he tried your highness but the swedes seized the petards and wounded him slightly and sapieha's men were repulsed if wounded slightly then he will try again but what day is it the last day of December, your highness. God be merciful to my soul. I shall not live to the new year. Long ago it was foretold me that every fifth year death is near me. God is kind, your highness. God is with Sapieha, said the prince gloomily. All at once he looked round and said, Cold comes to me from it. I do not see it, but I feel that it is here. What is that, your highness? Death. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. A moment of silence followed. Nothing was heard but the whispered, our father, repeated by Pani Yakimovich. Tell me, said the prince with a broken voice. Do you believe that outside of your faith, no one can be saved? Even in the moment of death, it is possible to renounce errors, said Carlamp. The sound of shots had become at that moment more frequent. The thunder of cannon began to shake the window panes, which answered each report with a plaintive sound. The prince listened a certain time calmly. Then rose slightly on the pillow. His eyes began slowly to widen, his pupils to glitter. He sat up. For a moment, he held his head with his hand. Then cried suddenly, as if in bewilderment. Boguslav, Boguslav, Boguslav. Karlamp ran out of the room like a madman. The whole castle trembled and quivered from the thunder of cannon. All at once there was heard the cry of several thousand voices. Then something was torn with a ghastly smashing of walls, so that brands and coals from the chimney were scattered on the floor. At the same time, Karlamp rushed into the chamber. Sapieha's men have blown up the gate, cried he the swedes have fled to the tower the enemy is here your highness further words died on his lips radzevil was sitting on the sofa with his eyes staring out with open lips he was gulping the air his teeth bared like those of a dog when he snarls he tore with his hands the sofa on which he was sitting and gazing with terror into the depth of the chamber cried or rather gave out hoarse rattles between one breath and another it was radzyovsky not i save me what do you want take the crown it was radzyovsky save me people jesus jesus mary These were the last words of Radzivil. Then a terrible coughing seized him. His eyes came out in still more ghastly fashion from their sockets. He stretched himself out, fell on his back, and remained motionless. He is dead, said the doctor. He cried, Mary, though a Calvinist, you have heard, said Pani throw wood on the fire said carlamp to the terrified pages he drew near the corpse closed the eyelids then he took from his own armour a gilded image of the mother of god which he wore on a chain and placing the hands of radzivil together on his breast he put the image between the dead fingers the light of the fire was reflected from the golden ground of the image and that reflection fell upon the face of the voevoda and made it cheerful so that never had it seemed so calm Karlamp sat to the side of the body and resting his elbows on his knees hid his face in his hands the silence was broken only by the sound of shots All at once something terrible took place. First of all was a flash of awful brightness. The whole world seemed turned into fire, and at the same time there was given forth such a sound as if the earth had fallen from under the castle. The walls tottered, the ceilings cracked with a terrible noise, all the windows tumbled in on the floor. And the panes were broken into hundreds of fragments through the empty openings of the windows that moment clouds of snow drifted in and the whirlwind began to howl gloomily in the corners of the chamber all the people present fell on the floor on their faces speechless from terror Karlamp rose first and looked directly on the corpse of the voevoda The corpse was lying in calmness, but the gilded image had slipped a little in the hands. Karl recovered his breath. At first he felt certain that that was an army of satans who had broken into the chamber for the body of the prince. The world has become flesh, said he. The Swedes must have blown up the tower and themselves. But from without there came no sound. Evidently, the troops of Sapieha were standing in dumb wonder, or perhaps in fear that the whole castle was mined, and that there would be explosion after explosion. Put wood on the fire, said Carlam to the pages. Again, the room was gleaming with a bright, quivering light. Round about, A death-like stillness continued, but the fire hissed, the whirlwind howled, and the snow rolled each moment more densely through the window openings. At last confused voices were heard, then the clatter of spurs and the tramp of many feet. The door of the chamber was opened wide, and soldiers rushed in. It was bright from the naked sabers and more and more figures of knights in helmets, caps and hallpacks, crowded through the door. Many were bearing lanterns in their hands, and they held them to the light, advancing carefully, though it was light in the room from the fire as well. At last there sprang forth from the crowd a little knight, all in enameled armor, and cried... Where is the voevoda of Vilna? Here, said Karlamp, pointing to the body lying on the sofa. Volodyovsky looked at him and said, He is not living. He is not living. He is not living, went from mouth to mouth. The traitor, the betrayer, is not living. So it is, said Karlamp gloomily. But if you dishonor his body and bury it apart with sabers, you will do ill. For before his end, he called on the Most Holy Lady, and he holds her image in his hand. These words made a deep impression. The shouts were hushed. Then the soldiers began to approach, to go round the sofa and look at the dead man. Those who had lanterns turned the light off them on his eyes and he lay there gigantic gloomy on his face the majesty of a hatman and the cold dignity of death the soldiers came one after another and among them the officers therefore stankievich approached the two shetouskis horotkievich yakub kmita oskyerko and Pan Zagloba, it is true, said Zagloba, in a low voice, as if he feared to rouse the prince. He holds in his hands the most holy lady, and the shining from her falls on his face. When he said this, he removed his cap that instant, all the others bare their heads. A moment of silence filled with reverence followed which was broken at last by Volodyovsky. Ah, said he, he is before the judgment of God, and people have nothing to do with him. Here he turned to Karlamp, but you, unfortunate, why did you, for his sake, leave your country and king? Give him this way, called a number of voices at once. Then... Carlamp rose and, taking off his sabre, threw it with a clatter on the floor, and said, "Here I am. Cut me to pieces. I did not leave him with you when he was powerful as a king, and afterward it was not proper to leave him when he was in misery and no one stayed with him. I have not grown fat in his service. For three days I have had nothing in my mouth." and the legs are bending under me. But here I am, cut me to pieces, for I confess furthermore, here Karlam's voice trembled, that I loved him. When he had said this, he tottered and would have fallen, but Zagloba opened his arms to him, caught him, supported him, and cried. By the living God, give the man food and drink, That touched all to the heart. Therefore, they took Karlamp by the arms and led him out of the chamber at once. Then the soldiers began to leave it, one after another, making the sign of the cross with devotion. On the road to their quarters, Zagloba was meditating over something. He stopped, coughed, then pulled volodyovski by the skirt pan michael said he well what my anger against radzivill is past a dead man is a dead man i forgive him from my heart for having made an attempt on my life he is before the tribunal of heaven said volodyovski that's it that's it Hm if it would help him I would even give for a mass, since it seems to me that he has an awfully small chance up there. God is merciful. As to being merciful, he is merciful. Still, the Lord cannot look without abhorrence on heretics. And Radzivill was not only a heretic, but a traitor. There is where the trouble is. Here, Zagluba shook his head and began to look upward. I am afraid, said he, after a while, that some of those Swedes who blew themselves up will fall on my head. That they will not be received there in heaven is certain. They were good men, said Pan Michael with recognition. They preferred death to surrender. There are few such soldiers in the world. All at once Volodyovsky halted. Pana Bilevich was not in the castle, said he. But how do you know? I asked those pages. Boguslav took her to Taurogi. "L," said Zagloba. That was as if to confide a kid to a wolf. But it is not your affair. Your predestined is that colonel. End of chapter 15